Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman. On this week's episode, we talk Florida opening fall camp. Uh, Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, joins me. A lot of things to discuss, from the maturation of Trey Mann to Tyree Appleby's role, uh, who will be the starting point guard, Scotty Lewis, his development as a shooter and secondary scorer, Florida's front court, uh, some surprises early on out of camp there. So that'll be a big part of our discussion. We'll also get into uh, a Big East preview, which is a lot of fun. Eric and I had a really good time with it. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks, as always, for listening. Remember to go to Apple, give us a rating, Spotify, give us a heart. All that stuff matters. Moves us up to content ratings, help us get sponsorships. Uh, those things are important. We're excited to talk ball with you. Thanks. Welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South, with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Eric, uh, you join us from the Great White North. I am currently on vacation myself, so we're in vacation mode here as we get closer and closer to college basketball season. Hey, that's got to be good. It looks like from your Instagram, you're uh, you're in a beautiful part of the country. Glad you're getting some relaxation in. And uh, especially that relaxation I'm b- before the Braves play tonight. I know that's a big one for you. Big game seven. Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, as a Blue Jays fan who is, uh, you know, out a long time ago. I am firmly on the side of cheering for for the Braves. And, uh, you know, he's not playing. But Mike Soroka, uh, pitcher from uh, from near where I live in Canada. Uh, so, yeah, I'm definitely on Team Braves. Love seeing the big the big uh, the big teams like the Dodgers go down. So, uh, yeah, go Braves and chop on. Yeah, I love it. I appreciate that. You know, I. I, the Braves have broken uh, their fans' hearts so many times that I'm trying to emotionally prepare for for tonight. But I don't know. I've had a good feeling all day, which which is very unusual because usually it's just like impending dread. But I don't, I don't know. I you know the the greatest Canadian baseball player of all time, Freddie Freeman, probably <laughs> probably just going to will them to win tonight. We'll see what happens. Um, Florida. We saw those of you saw Instagram and stuff, or Chris Harry's article. Know that uh, fall practice has begun for the basketball team. Um, Eric continues to turn out great content at GatorCountry.com, but the uh, program is is back on the court, Eric. Yeah, which is just so exciting to see because, again, as as much as we've seen announcements in terms of games, announcements in terms of when conference might start or when teams could uh, could start to practice, uh, as much as you hear that and that's encouraging, there's always a little part of you that says, I don't know if this is going to happen. So to see them on the court, to see them practicing, that's that's super encouraging. It definitely makes it seem like like basketball is uh, is coming up here. So. Uh, and, and of course, as you alluded to, with players getting back on the court, you you start to see some uh, some inside stuff, whether it's from from sources or whether it's from uh, from a piece like Chris Harry, who wrote his kind of big first uh, preview of the season. Yeah, no, uh, some interesting stuff in in Chris Harry's piece. I thought, um, you know, one thing I liked just at the very beginning was was him talking about how, <laughs> you know. Uh, preseason hype doesn't necessarily mean everything that he's had seasons that he's covered the team where there was a lot of preseason hype and they ended up being very good. 
And then, uh, like last year, where there was, uh, you know, a lot of preseason hype. And, and to be honest, while there were some good moments, it wasn't uh, probably the best season for, for a lot of Florida fans. I don't think anybody would disagree with me about that. So, so you never really know. But Florida, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I think Rob, when we had Rob Doster on, he was probably the one who said this Florida team is intriguing to him. And that's a word that Chris Harry used because there's not as much preseason expectation, mainly, I think, at least largely in part due to, to what happened last year. Well, it's funny how sometimes when you don't have uh, proven talent, there's a little bit of that mystery box element where it's like, hey, look at this. Look at this talent. We don't know what it's like at the college level. So there's the chance that these players are spectacular. So uh, you see that every year with teams that are one and done heavy. You saw it last year with Memphis, who didn't uh, didn't turn out to be a great team. And obviously we saw with Florida, who didn't turn out to be a great team. And it's funny how just every year you continue to see teams with uh, a bunch of young talent coming in, continuing to get a lot of hype. And then it's the teams that bring back proven production that do not get a lot of accolade. And this Florida team is one that, yeah, it's not bringing in the the surefire kind of one and done talent, uh, but it's got a bunch of proven production, uh, whether it's in the SEC, whether it's in the Big Ten, like Colin Castleton, whether it's in uh, Conference USA and, uh, and the Horizon League with Tyree Appleby. Uh, there is just a lot of players who have played at the college level and been good at the college level and for that reason I, I definitely think that I know it's obviously hard for someone like uh, like you or I Neil to be you know objective here but I, I again when you look at the recipe for succeeding in college basketball it's r- returning veteran proven talent and Florida has that so to hear people like Rob Doster say he's intrigued by Florida I, I think that's uh, that's totally fair and uh, people should be intrigued by this team yeah I think they should and, and um you know, Chris kind of went spot by spot, and I think that's that's a good way to approach uh, fall practice. But I kind of want to jump around from his piece, and and he said most improved was Trey Mann. It's something that um, we've been saying on the podcast. Certainly has the the possibility to to uh, come to fruition. Um, Harry said that in June, Mann reported uh, in great in great shape in July after a COVID-19 scare and that they loved uh, the way he played at point guard, which I thought was probably eye-opening for some people. Yeah, pretty interesting. And uh, I think the quote that everyone, well, definitely was passing around on Twitter on, uh, on the Gator country forums was when Chris Harry said, if you know, Florida was playing tomorrow, I I'm not saying it verbatim, but I think it was something along the lines of if he's playling tomorrow, if the Gators are playing tomorrow, uh, Trey Manns are starting point guard. So there's a couple things there, obviously one of which is, uh, that must mean Trey Manns looking great, which is totally believable. I mean, I was someone who thought he was going to be one and done out of college. Uh, obviously that wasn't correct. Uh, but, uh, and you know, Chris Harry said that he was the most improved, which a lot of people are saying. And when you look at it, I, I mean, by the end of last year, he was a clear cut sixth man on what was not a great team, but a good team. So if you get drastically improved from a player who is a really, you know, a solid sixth man at the, the high major level on a good team, uh, well, that is definitely a starting caliber player and he's, uh, five-star talent who I thought was going to be one and done, uh, who is now grown and has great positional size, whether he's at the one or the two. So it, it totally makes sense that he'd be 
in the mix to start or would be maybe the the guy who if, if Chris Arias is, is correct was would be the you know right now number one in the depth chart um, of which this would be a good time to point out that I'm pretty glad that basketball doesn't do depth charts like football because man that would just make for carnage in, on Twitter but uh and then the other thing of course is that uh, that kind of suggests that uh maybe Tyree Appleby doesn't look as good as is uh, someone like me who's been really high on Appleby and uh, expected him to be the no doubt starter. Uh, maybe that means he hasn't been as good. And and then there was also a little uh, uh, a little just parting note by uh, by Chris Harry at one point where he mentioned that Appleby didn't come into come into camp in, in the best shape. Um, so maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe it has it has everything to do with it. But uh, but hey, but it could just be Appleby looks really good, which is what everyone was saying last year. But it could be uh, Trey Mann, who's six foot five or six foot six, who has NBA potential, great explosiveness, and can create offense on his own. Uh, yeah, there. Uh, of course, that guy should be in the mix to start. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and I, and again, I still think if they're going to play this 94-foot game offensively, uh, they're, they're going to need both of them. Um, that goes without question. You know, it's not and, – and I still think Trey Mann is going to play some combo guard type uh, type basketball for Florida. So I think uh, both, both those things are going to be happening, and, and I sure hope so because I'll tell you, the other night I, I had a rare basketball dream. Like I don't have – basketball dreams very often i guess i'm like too involved with the sport maybe to dream about it um and so for whatever reason in my basketball dream i migrated to trey man's instagram page and it said uh combo guard rutgers and so i thought that for some reason trey man had transferred to rutgers for a hot minute and then i woke up that is extremely obscure. Apparently, you know, Florida's just heavy recruitment of New Jersey players over the last couple of seasons has just got your brain all kinds of uh, muddled up. That's uh, yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad you woke up from that one. But, uh, man, can you imagine uh, Trey Mann bringing back Rutgers, uh, a program that has really struggled late? Uh, yeah. You should, go throw the, you should go throw that on a Rutgers message board, see how they respond. Uh, that's actually like a great idea. You know, um, it's funny that Florida and Rutgers have some basketball history, as, as some Gators will know, that, that uh, Eli Carter, who was the leading scorer on Billy Donovan's last team, was a, a transfer from Rutgers. And um, two years before he played for Donovan, and in fact, I think one of the big reasons Donovan brought him in is that Florida played Rutgers um, and the Gators were upset by uh by the scarlet knights eli carter went off for like 35 points and so uh, a couple years later he was he was a gator on florida's uh on billy donovan's final team so i mean first of all that is a uh, uh that is quite the trivia question right there um who, exactly. led, who led in scoring uh, in his last in Billy Donovan's last season, because yeah, uh, Eli Carter potentially someone who's lost a little bit to the uh, you know, especially given how rough that season was, and, and you know, Eli Carter someone who was not particularly efficient, but that was a team that uh, that really struggled to to make things happen. So uh, yeah, that was uh, uh, yeah, I'm glad glad he came to Florida and glad he was grinding. But uh, yeah, he was a, he, when I think of Eli Carter, I definitely think of a team that yeah did struggle to score a little bit. Um, one thing I do just want to point out, uh, just regarding uh, Trey Mann at the point, uh, this information definitely has to be taken with a grain of salt or multiple grains of salt. 
But he was someone that, uh, and, and I say that because, yes, Andrew Nemhart was unmistakably the team's point guard for 32 minutes a game who uh, had the ball on his hands a lot. So uh, talking about Trey Mann as a you know point guard, j- just knowing that his role was so limited, it's, you know, it's, it's a little tough to extrapolate from. But it is worth noting that as a pick and roll ball handler, uh, he did not do very well last season. And uh, so for example, but at the same time, as much as there w- it wasn't like a lot of time, there was 96 possessions logged at, with Trey Mann as the pick and roll ball handler. Florida was at 0.71 points per possession. Uh, Trey Mann turned it over 10% of the time, which, which isn't terrible, but, um, it's not, not fantastic. And, uh, yeah, so uh, it, it is worth noting that for whatever it's worth, when Trey Mann was initiating pick and rolls, when he was the lead ball handler on the floor, he didn't show a great ability to distribute. Um, and I do think that's just worth noting in this point guard conversation. Um, uh, again, what, once again, taking a uh, Trey Mann in his freshman season, a lot of the times he was playing point guard was, uh, you know, a little bit earlier in the year before it was kind of, uh, before he right. kind of shifted to role is, but, uh, but yeah, uh, Neil, so do you have any kind of reaction to that? Like of what you maybe, what we did see of Trey Mann as a point guard for, for again, for whatever it's worth. Yeah. I mean, I, I just don't, I think that we've fleshed it out enough on the pod that, that it's, I just don't think, I don't know if that's the best spot for him as a college player. Uh, I, I do think that if they're going to play fast, that it benefits Trey Mann to have a bunch of the ball, which is why I think, you know, I don't know how often we'll see Appleby man combos necessarily. Uh, and I felt like, the natural thing to do in that situation was to have Trey Mann come off the bench as the sixth man, uh, but play that kind of NBA sixth man role where you're functionally just a sixth starter, right? Uh, minutes wise. Um, but I don't know if, if that's, you know, what they'll do. I think Florida does have to get better in pick and roll offense. Uh, that's just, you know, an inescapable reality. They weren't, that was the least efficient part of, of Andrew Nimard's game. And, you know, I don't know if Trey Mann compensates in any of the other areas as a pure point guard uh, if he's not going to to be a little better in the pick and roll, Eric. And then uh, probably my last comment towards this, and, and this could be nothing, but uh, this this is total semantics. But, for example, last year there was the stretch where Kerry Blackshear and Omar Payne were playing a, a bunch together for just a couple of games. And there was also times where, uh, where Kerry Blackshear was playing next to Jason Jatobo. And... Some of the, you know, some of the coaching staff, Mike White um, referenced Kerry Blackshear playing the five and Omar Payne playing the four. And that was something that announcers and some media also referenced was when when Kerry Blackshear and Omar Payne were on the floor that Kerry Blackshear was playing the, the five and Omar Payne is playing the four. And that would not be my interpretation whatsoever by any metric and any evaluation. I, I would have said that Omar Payne is playing the five and Kerry Blackshear is playing the floor, the four with Omar Payne sitting in the dunker spot uh, with where he was, the, the players he was guarding just, to me, it was Omar Payne was the five and Kerry Blackshear was the four, despite the fact that um, it, it was kind of talked about in reverse by, by the, coaching staff so there's like i could see a universe where also it's trey man and Pyrie appleby are on the floor together and 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 trey man is referenced as the point guard and there's so there's something there's something about that that i'm like i don't know maybe they, they're on the floor together trey man gets you know when espn shows the graphic it's trey man is the the point guard and I, I i don't know there's something about that but even even any position talk like that i just think it like needs to be noted that you know nowadays modern basketball uh position names can be a little bit uh they're, they're fluid. 
Yeah, no, I, that's that's absolutely true. So a couple of things that that have also stuck out, uh, one from uh, Chris Harry and another from um, <clears throat> just some people that I've been able to talk to. So I'll start with, you know, what I've heard. And, and you know, I know, Eric, you've been doing a great job with these insider notes pieces at Gator Country. So if you have anything to add to this, go for it. But but I have heard that Scotty Lewis has shot the ball really well uh, again. And that maybe, you know, that he has kind of blended smart decision-making about shot selection with just kind of a relentless work ethic and getting shots up. And, and that, you know, again, I don't think either you or me expect him to shoot 44% from three-point range in, in league play again. But, uh, you know, if he hovers around 38, 39 all year, uh, that's pretty good. And that's a number that, you know, I think from what I've heard, they think he's very capable of. Yeah. I really think it's going to be all about shot selection when it comes to his percentage. Uh, I wrote about his jump shooting, his three point shooting at Gator country a couple weeks ago. People can definitely check that out where there's more thoughts uh, for me regarding what I think he's going to shoot next year. But I, I you know, as a, as a high school basketball coach and someone who does a, a little bit of analytics consulting for some teams, uh, you know, I often get asked by, you know, players, um, how can I shoot? The, how can I shoot the ball better? How can I be a better three point shooter? And, uh, my answer is always the same. It's, take better shots. Uh, and that's, uh, and then we talk about that, but that's the best way for any shooter to get better is take better shots. And uh, for Scotty Lewis, we definitely saw sometimes where the ball got swung to him and he would do a pump fake at first and then hesitate. And his front foot would kind of jump a little bit, like as if he was about to drive the basketball. Uh, and then his base was, uh, was not solid and he'd chuck up a jumper and it often didn't fall. And uh, there's just some, some elements like that, that, um, you know, maybe if he shot the ball right at first, it would have been a great shot, but he hesitated. He pump faked, he got himself out of rhythm. He got his feet unset. Uh, those are the, th- uh, but Hey, he's, he's a young player. He's a freshman that, that happens. But if he can smooth that out, uh, there's, there's no question he's going to bring more consistency to his, to his jump shooting. And uh, yeah, for a team that should, you know, cross your fingers, have a bunch of offensive options, more offensive options than last year. Uh, it's not like you're going to need Scotty Lewis to necessarily do a, a ton. I, I would almost be, I would almost venture to say if Scotty Lewis is asked to do a lot offensively, that doesn't mean great things for this Florida basketball team because there are right. other guys who are going to be in that offensive role that uh, they're going to need to be humming and they're going to need Scotty Lewis to be the fourth or fifth offensive option on the floor. And yeah, for, for Scotty Lewis, that should mean wide open threes. That should mean straight line attacking closeouts when the defense is scrambled. Uh, and that could mean cutting off the ball and getting dunks. So that's, uh, that's what I kind of foresee for him. Yeah, no. And I, I agree with that. And I think that his game is uh, it's not, I don't want to compare it to Keontae Johnson, but I think in the sense that like we need Scotty Lewis to, you know, if you're Florida fan, you, you have to have Scotty Lewis as a secondary scorer, never the first option on offense and a guy that accepts, you know, what a defense gives him and what the game, what offense comes to him over the course of a game. And if that's what he's doing, uh, he's going to be a really effective player because I do think he's going to improve defensively in, in his second year. He's going to he's a he's a guy that really studies video uh, that, that really pays attention to basketball. And, and I think his understanding of college basketball and tendencies and things like that should improve. So I'm excited to see that uh, type of development in his game. Another guy that has the 
type of relentless work ethic that you hear about when when you hear about Scotty Lewis apparently is uh, Osiah Sifo. That was maybe the most eye-opening part of the uh, Chris Harry column. And maybe it's just because I'm like a big Justin Le- Leon stan. But like anytime somebody's work ethic gets compared to Justin Leon, you you pause a little bit. Yeah, no question. I mean, Justin Leon, a guy whose plan was to redshirt at Louisiana Tech, turns into key player in for Florida in in his uh, his first year out of junior college. I mean, that's that's awesome. And you know, it, yeah, no, no one is allowed to dislike Justin Leon. I've never met anyone who has. But if you're listening to this and don't love Justin Leon, I I, I just don't know what to what to do with this <laughs> basketball. Thing. But, uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely interesting. I mean, uh, let's be honest here. I'm someone who wrote multiple times as well as uh, talked about on this podcast even more times that I didn't think that that was a great take. And I was not super impressed with what I saw from him at, junior, at the junior college level. And to be quite honest, uh, I don't want to put this rudely, but there is no way that Florida looked at what he did in junior college and said, yes, that is exactly what we want on our basketball team. There's, there's just no way the, the, the only way they would have looked at him and said, Hey, that's what we want in Florida is, Hey, look at that work ethic. Look at those physical gifts he has. So I I think the take of him was always about his work ethic. It wasn't about, uh, it wasn't about, Hey, let's look at his offensive game. Uh, It's super polished because it's not, it wasn't about, Hey, look at the guy. He's a lockdown defender, a game changing defender because he wasn't. Uh, But it's like, Hey, look at that guy. We think he's a great kid uh, because everyone who talks about him says he is super respectful, super intelligent, and just a great kid. And everyone says he's the hardest worker in the gym. So uh, that's, I I mean, Chris Harry saying that he's one of the hardest workers in the gym definitely shouldn't come as a surprise to, to anyone because yeah, that's, that's always been the book on him. So uh, it it is great to hear that that has continued at Florida, but yeah, when everyone says he's just uh, the most mature, most respectful, nicest guy who is an insanely hard worker. So, uh, you know, if you're if you're if you have the drive to do that in junior college, I think you're absolutely going to have the drive to do that when you're in the SEC at Florida with an opportunity to be on one of the great stages in, in college basketball. But, yeah, I would say that the most interesting note was was Harry saying uh, again that he was definitely going to be in the mix to, to, to play some minutes because it's just it's so hard for me to imagine where that would be. I mean, for him to play minutes, it's taking minutes away from some combination of Keontae Johnson, Anthony Deruji, uh, and some of the centers, uh, whether it's Omar Bain, Colin Castleton, Jason Jatobo. I mean, for him to play, it's going to be at the four or five spot, presumably, unless something wild happens. So uh, he's taking minutes away from, from one of those guys. And that's, that's tough for me to imagine, but Hey, if that's really the case, then he must be looking great. Yeah. You know, I thought, um, I agree with that. And, and I thought that it was kind of, we definitely both didn't think that and said on this show that we weren't totally sure about this, uh, this take and, you know, obviously hope that they hope that we're wrong, um, on this, but, but I do think as a culture piece, I think that this staff was searching for some of that last year, uh, as the season went on. I mean, they, they, they went from thinking that this that that team couldn't handle success, which they really couldn't. Uh, they there were comments about how they were a little too nice, which which maybe when you got guys like Andrew Nimhard and Noah Locke, uh, maybe you were a little too nice. Kerry Blackshear, <laughs> maybe they were a little too nice. Although I think Kerry tried to respond and, and lead the team with a little bit of an edge, but but Osifo could be that guy, and and I think maybe they want him to push you know, your NBA talents like, like Omar Payne. And I don't want to 
put that NBA talent label on Jason Jatobo, um, but but he certainly has you know size and athletic gifts uh, that that are interesting. Um, so you know that's kind of where we're coming from on at least where those are the, the issues I wanted to touch on in, in the Chris Harry piece. Did you have you know anything that else in there that you felt like uh, was worth chatting about? Uh, no, I think we kind of hit all the, the most interesting parts. I mean, yeah, between Trey Mann uh, being referenced as someone who would be the, the starter if the Gators played tomorrow to Osifo being a guy in the mix for minutes, I would say those are definitely the major things. And uh, once again, it's just always so uh, so funny. I mean, obviously, Harry uh, touched on it, but it's just so funny how like it's so easy to not talk about Keontae Johnson because just everyone knows he's going to be awesome. So it's <laughs> just that uh, it's, uh, you know, like whenever we're talking about the team, it's it's, it's always just like, well, um Keontae Johnson is going to be awesome. So let's talk about the point guard position where there's a little bit more questions. So, uh, yeah, that's one thing, too, that I just uh, don't want to lose sight of this year is just that, you know, Keontae Johnson is going to be in the mix for to be an All-American, I, I think. And that's super exciting because, man, there is not that in recent history, that just has not been the case. Like, uh uh, it was it was cool enough to be like, oh, Kerry Blackshear is coming to town. He might be in the mix for All-American. He might be in the mix for SEC Player of the Year. Uh, obviously, was he wasn't close to the All-American picture, and we probably realized that rather quickly in the season. But uh, I really think Keontae Johnson has that chance, and it would just be super fun as like one of the storylines to to follow as as we uh, uh, you know go through what should be a pretty interesting and crazy year. It's just like, hey, is could Keontae Johnson compete for uh, for an All-American uh, spot? And uh, yeah, that was just another thing that I just like just realized whenever I read anyone's work about the the Gators. And, uh, you know, even as we talk about them, it's like, man, I just definitely don't want to take Keontae Johnson for granted here because uh, uh, I think this is going to be the last season we get to watch him play. And I think he's going to be fabulous. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, you know, I think I think we should definitely be be pretty excited about Keontae and and to not talk about the guy who I think might be the best player at attacking closeouts in, in college basketball uh, would would be would seemingly be a little bit of an oversight um, but but I promise it's not purposeful on our end it's just there's some stuff in there about you know some of the team's question marks and like you said you know that maybe that maybe we just proved why uh, teams with a lot of kind of proven returning pieces aren't as discussed as like the teams that, that bring in the big five-star signees land the big grad transfer. So like for all the reasons that Florida was hyped last year, there's less of that this year. Um, although, you know, adding two all conference sit one transfers, even that kind of gets swept under the rug, right? Cause of the sit one. So you kind of forget that they're there. Um, we didn't talk much about Anthony DeRuji either, but, but uh, excited to have practice back. And, and the other things that are going on around the program that I think are super interesting, Eric, are uh, let's talk about recruiting because you wrote an article at Gator Country, which, which I think our listeners will find very interesting. I got a lot of DMs about the Alex Fudge commitment, uh, people asking what was wrong, why aren't they landing people, oh, they're finally not recruiting well, everything is going badly. Um, to which, you know, it's easy to forget that they have a five-star signee in, in Kwasi Reeves that, that is going to come and uh, that they don't know how many spots they're going to have open for sure, uh, secondly. And thirdly, you know, I haven't been ever shy on the podcast about saying it, but, but uh, I'll just say it again. 
it is very difficult to land a player uh, when you are competing against LSU uh, for a lot of reasons. Um, but the biggest one is financial. Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to say, Neil, I was going to ask for a quick uh, five-second uh, departure from, you know, being, you know, someone's uh, objective who covers the Gators. And I, I want to go full Florida Gator fan for five seconds here and say with seriousness, as a fan, I don't think I want any player that seriously considers LSU right now or commits there. Like, I, I, I'm i sorry. That's just like, from full stand, fan standpoint, yeah, I just, I don't think I'm interested in a player. Who, as soon as it was kind of down to like, oh, people, you know, really like Florida, but oh, it's going to be tough to beat LSU. Like, given where things are at with that program, um, yeah, best best of luck to him. Uh, that's all right. But uh, yeah, so, but when he went off the board, committed to LSU, there was uh, he was kind of the last name that Florida had kind of been uh, been rumored to be involved with, and we've seen that with a lot with Carter Witt and Rasul Diggins and and Tyrese Hunter, and you know, there's there's players Florida Florida was kind of rumored in the mix for, and then uh, Florida kind of got out of the mix and these players went elsewhere. And for those of you who followed Florida recruiting over the last couple of years, that's totally different than what they've been doing. And when you look at these last, last few off seasons, the Gators are just in the mix for everyone. They were putting out offers, working tirelessly. They were in the top five for, for so many, so many good players. Like, I, I mean, I'll be honest. I love to break down the on the court product of the Gators. I am not a recruiting expert or someone who, loves covering that that part of the game so so to be honest i'm not the uh, be all end all expert but uh you know people would be dming me and saying like uh dming me a tweet from a recruit and saying like oh uh florida's in their top five where do we sit with them and, and i kid you not sometimes i did not know who the player was i knew nothing about them but the gators were in the mix and uh staying connected to these players and uh, just staying in the picture this summer was was totally different or off season was totally different and uh, that was pretty noticeable and uh, something that I kind of that I wrote about at Gator Country uh, was that I, I didn't think that this was Florida missing out on their guys like some people were kind of suggesting. Uh, I kind of thought this was a lot of players that Florida just wasn't totally sure if they fit the program. And ultimately, they were looking towards 2021, where all the rumors for a year now have been that the one-time transfer rule was going to go into effect, where players are going to be allowed to transfer once without the penalty of a redshirt year. So the Gators, who have been active on the, the transfer recruiting trail for a few seasons now, I, I, I truly thought that they were setting themselves up for that year where everyone, you know, kind of behind the scenes thought the one-time transfer was going to go, go into effect. And the Gators were, were keeping spots open, keeping their powder dry uh, to be available to get some, uh, to get some transfers if this were to happen. And uh, I, I wrote that completely unsourced. That was just totally my thought, my read on the situation. Uh, very luckily, I didn't know it was going to happen, but a couple days later, the announcement kind of comes out that this rule is probably going to go into effect. Uh, made me look smart, which is great. And uh, you know what? I might have gotten a wink or two from some people around around the program uh, upon reading that that piece. And uh, uh, so I'm going to say, like, I, I think that that's what Florida has been doing. They're, they're not interested in taking players that are 
they're not totally sure can contribute. Uh, they want some some proven talent. So Kawasi Reeves, high school recruit, uh, he looks fantastic. He has the size, has the athleticism. He checks every box. Absolutely, that's a guy you want to take. But uh, but past that, do you take um, you know a, a bit of a flyer on a point guard that you're not totally sure on? Uh, that's t- uh, for a high school player. That's tough when you could go on the recruiting or the start the transfer market and say, Hey, look at this guy who's played a year or two or three in another program and, and prove it that he can compete at the, at the college level. Uh, that's when we should bring on campus. So uh, I think recruiting is about to change drastically. And I truly believe that Florida is doing something that a lot of high major teams are not, and that's leaving space and versatility open for the summer. And I think it's going to work out awesome. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a very smart strategy. And, and what I'll say because Eric made so many good points. There's not a whole lot for me to add other than, well, let me back all the way up to the LSU comment. And <laughs> I'm kind of, uh, I do somewhat agree. Uh, and, I, and I would say that in Florida's situation, whether it was Nazir Little, who ultimately ended up at, at UNC, or whether it was uh, Trenton Watford, or whether it was, uh, who's the kid that went to Oregon? CJ Walker, or whether it was Darius Days, these are all players that Florida extended offers to and recruited past that extend the offer stage. Uh, Alex Fudge, I think, of that group, probably the one they recruited the most aggressively. Although I know there are some people close to the program that I trust, Eric, that that say uh, you know Florida was very much in on Nas Little until it was pretty weird, pretty obvious that he wasn't going to go that he was either going to go to LSU or UNC. Um, and then they backed off with Alex Sludge. They didn't back off. They kept trying, but, but they, I think we're always aware that once he started calling Baton Rouge his hometown, even though he plays high school basketball in Jacksonville and most of his family lives there. Um, once he started saying things like, you know, I really enjoy talking to Will Wade. Uh, it just becomes clear that, that you're probably not going to get that kid. And again, we know what the reasons are. We don't need to rehash those. We've talked about how the LSU administration does not seem to care. And I do think that's going to continue. And so I think making that transition away uh, from, from those sort of recruiting battles and focusing your time on evaluation, particularly with a transfer market that's about to change dramatically uh, is good. And, and Florida is not going to know. The other thing that's really good about it is is forget that you might not want to have a reach because I think with the point guards that Eric mentioned to my second point here, you know, Florida has reached on point guards in the white era. Like they they admittedly felt like that they pan, they kind of panic recruited Mike Karu, who was a really good kid, uh, but not a power five point guard, power six point guard, right? Um, and you know, they, they recruited DeAndre Ballard because they thought they had a big physical wing type combo guard. And that really wasn't what DeAndre was. He's just not a very efficient player. So, uh, and, and they're a staff that values efficiency as you should. So they learn their lessons on reaches, I guess is the, the second point I'd make. And they're not going to do that again. That's not something that they culturally want to do. So I think it's smart. If you don't know, how much space you're going to have. Why not use the transfer market? And once you become aware of it with the with the new one-time transfer rule, if you have that space, you're in the driver's seat. 
uh, for a lot of those guys. And Florida also can boast about a very successful track record with transfers. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been really good when you think about it. And especially when you look at like, you know, junior college transfer had great success with Justin Leon. Uh, as much as Kerry Blackshear wasn't uh, as good as some people thought, I mean, he still had a really good season. And obviously the uh, the sitting out transfers, you know, they speak for themselves as well. So uh, it, it totally makes sense too. I mean, uh, I mean, you could have been much more liberal with your use of, of names talking about uh, players that have not worked out for the Gators with, you know, Eric Hester, another guy who is, uh, I think he's going to Prairie View A&M this year, but has kind of bounced around. He was yeah. in junior college last year um you know obviously that uh didn't super work out and then you could get into the bigs like isaiah stokes and uh gorge gawk and uh and dante bassett i mean florida has uh florida is not uh has not hit on all their guys there's there's no question and and once again too i just feel like like if you're gonna spend your first two years, you know, developing guys like, like Deandre Ballard or Isaiah Stokes. And, and then you've got to kind of figure out after year two, if they're someone who can compete for you. I mean, how is that better than looking at Anthony Derugi and, and Tyree Appleby playing in other conferences and saying like, okay, great. Like these guys have proven it. And like, like, let's, let's let some other teams figure out if some of these guys are already good for lack of a better term. Like uh, I can totally see why, why the Gators would, would want to recruit this way. And I, I think it's kind of the, the way of the future. And I know some people hate that. Um, I, I, I'm totally cool with it. I'm totally, I I'm in full support of the one-time transfer rule uh, coming into effect. Uh, I think it's great for the players and I'm always going to be player first. Uh, and I also think that uh, uh, I think it's going to be good for teams like, like Florida too, who uh, are going to be able to, uh, once again, see guys like Tyree Appleby, see guys like Anthony Derugi, see guys like, well, Colin Castlin, obviously a high major player out of high school, but, uh, uh, but yeah, and see who fits your program. And I think it's going to make for a much more consistent, uh, uh, consistent success from year to year. So yeah, good, really good on the staff. I just, I'm just shocked that I don't see more teams doing what Florida's doing. And, and there's like, if you look at a lot of these high major teams, they've got normal recruiting class sizes right now. They are not setting themselves up like Florida is to have this space for this summer when there's going to be more transfers than ever. So, uh, yeah, I, I think next season could be next off season could be could be huge for the Gators. Yeah, and and by the way, so people don't because because sometimes when you say oh you look at a development guy like Ballard or uh, who else did you say Isaiah Stokes let's just use those two because those are ones that that there were they did have their supporters and the fan base right um, oh yeah and and they had people that would be like oh well if this staff could develop. They, you know, they wouldn't need these transfers. And, and I understand some of the development criticisms. I think the staff understood that too when they brought in Al Pinkins. Uh, but, but it's not new at Florida. I mean, Billy Donovan, one of the reasons his recruiting model was set, successful was he didn't reach either. He would rather bring in Vernon Macklin than reach on a, on a three-star big. He would rather uh, miss very, very closely – on Julius Randall and say, okay, I'll go get Dorian Finney-Smith. Right. Um, and so that's, that's the model that, you know, he would rather miss on Austin rivers and say, you know what? I thought Austin could score a lot of points. Mike Rosario was a McDonald's all American. That's kind of lost in the wilderness. I'll bring him down here because I know he can get buckets. Right. 
so there's a, you know, people want them to be more like that staff. And, and I bring it up because I hear it all the time in my DMs and, and like, we're still, we're becoming a little bit like Alabama in the first few years after Bear Bryant to go with a football reference. Like if you continue to live in the, the, the bask of the Donovan achievements and judge every staff that comes after that by that, it's not particularly fair to them. But it's not like this staff is reinventing the wheel. It just seems like they're being smart with a new rule. Totally. And, and I mean, if you're someone who thinks that way of, of some of those fans who are negative towards uh, Florida's development, I would suggest you go to the 24-7 basketball pages and go look at past top 150 ranking uh, players year to year and go scroll up and down. And you are going to see that uh, players from the 50 to 150th ranked ish uh rankings you are going to see that those players not panning out is not an exclusive thing to florida uh that happens all the time because once again it's evaluating uh, evaluating high school talent is tough there's there's no question about it and yes some people are great at it some people have some coaches have hit repeatedly and i i think that they deserve full credit because yeah it is it's tough to look at an 18 year old uh, like, well, Deandre Ballard, I mean, we're saying his name a ton. He's a perfect example because he played in a high school league that was not very good on a team that was not very good. And he put up a ton of points. That is a tough evaluation setting where it's like, well, the guy's putting up a lot of points, but his competition isn't great. That's not a, that's not a unique situation to evaluating high school talent that happens all the time. But again, that's really tough. Or, hey, let's look at a player who plays at a really good team or, uh, you know, one of the basketball factories that's super good. Like, and this player is uh, uh, like Michael Caro um, uh, playing at Brewster Academy, was it? Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so and that, yeah, Brewster Academy. And they were awesome. They were a really, really good team. And he's their point guard. So, hey, he's, a, he's not the star player, but he's a role player on a really, really good team. And he handles the ball. That must mean, you know, how do you evaluate that? Well, it's just, that's just really hard to do. And it's just so much easier to look at guys, even in, in more mid-major conferences uh, and and see them against college competition and say like, hey, who's got it and who, who doesn't? Let's bring that guy into town. So I, I know there's going to be some college basketball romantics that are all about, uh, you know, recruiting a guy out of high school, having him in your system for four years. Uh, that's great. There's a part of me that loves that too, but it's just not modern college basketball and uh you can either adapt or die and i think that uh that florida is on the uh florida is ahead of the curve here and i love that i you know as someone who loves data loves analytics you know i'm someone who loves when uh i love when people when teams when programs are ahead of the curve and thinking progressively and i think this when it comes to recruiting transfers florida is thinking progressively and i love it yep i i agree with that um so that's the pretty much the the florida portion of our show i think Am I forgetting something? I don't think I am. Ah, I think we covered more. Yeah, we're good. Yeah, so uh, we'll move on to our, you know, conference preview spectaculars. And today we'll do my favorite college basketball conference, the Big East. Um, look, I'm just so excited about Big East basketball this year. Okay, like I know Miles Powell's gone. I know Marcus Howard's gone. But UConn's back, baby. Yeah, that it makes the Big East more like the Big East. You know what I mean? Like it's just, it's it's right. It is uh, the the college basketball world on a whole is better uh, when UConn is in the Big East. And uh, I haven't really thought about what my favorite basketball conference is, but the Big, Big East has got to be in the mix because it, it, one thing is when you look at the Big East every year, it just seems like they always have uh, 
they always have really good backcourts. Like once again, you referenced, you know, Miles Powell and uh, and, and Marcus Howard and uh, Marcus Zagorowski, uh, Tyshawn Alexander. Uh, Creighton had a really good backcourt. I, I mean, you just look up and down, and and this is like an every year kind of thing. You just see so many talented backcourt pieces. Uh, you know, the Gators saw some really good backcourt pieces from uh, from Butler, who handled them pretty good the last couple of years. Uh, it's just a super fun conference from a backcourt standpoint. And while it's definitely a large departure from, you know, like the old Big East that people love where, you know, they would just, uh, they'd throw up the ball with 20 minutes on the clock and guys would just instantly pair off and start throwing fists. I mean, it's not that Big East, but there's still a, a little bit of an element to playing big and playing tough with a lot of the teams like, you know, Ed Cooley's Providence teams and Seton Hall plays big and uh, Xavier always plays tough. So there is like an element of that, like, you know, city ball toughness to to the way that teams play in the yeah. Big East. So, yeah, super fun league. Yeah, I mean, it is. And, and you know, it's funny that you mentioned the, all the great guards because like even with with Powell and Howard gone. I mean, that's what stands out, I feel like, still, when you look at this league. Like, James Booknight is in this league. Colin Gillespie is in this league. Uh, did You mentioned Zagorowski, right? Um, I did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Marquette has a guy named DJ Carton, who I think is spectacular. Um, we saw Xavier. We saw Paul Scruggs last year at Xavier uh, play really well. Seton Hall has Bryce Aiken still. Um, so... I mean, that's a lot of dudes. So Aaron Thompson is, is I guess, going to pick up the mantle at Butler. Um, and it, it will be weird to see them play without uh, 42nd year senior Kamar Baldwin. But, like, <laughs> they, uh, they, you know, there are guards galore in the, uh, in the Big East. Yeah. I mean, even like, um, uh, this might be the only reference this team gets, but the team that I think is probably going to finish last in the league, uh, DePaul, uh, they've got a super good guard in Charlie Moore. I mean, so that's uh, how often do you look at the last team in the league and say like, wow, they've got a you know really talented backcourt piece. So uh, yeah, that's definitely the uh, the feature of this uh, of this league, and uh, uh, that's uh, I, I think that maybe brings me in. the first team I want to talk about is uh, is the team that I have going number one. Uh, we'll see if you agree, Neil. Um, but uh, this is not a particularly hot take. I think it is Villanova, uh, a, a team that uh, it's just like, I mean, it seems like you could pencil them in every year to be the number one team in the league. Uh, they've kind of built that reputation, but but backed it up. And when you look at this team, uh, it's kind of similar. So uh, what, what are your thoughts on the Wildcats? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. Um, I think if you picked, if you picked, Two, you know, all Big East teams. And you're just like, give me give me 10 names. Make sure you can have whatever combo of guard and forward you want. Like, I think you could put, pretty safely put, three, maybe four Villanova players on that list, depending on, you know, what your take is on Justin Moore, right? So, like, because Jermaine Samuels, um, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, and Colin Gillespie are without question three of the 10 best players in that league. And they might have four, Eric. <laughs> well, I just I just love how their pieces fit together. Like, you can talk raw talent, uh, like you mentioned, 
but you can also just talk about how uh, how well everyone fits. Like they have they have Colin Gillespie, the you know the the consummate Villanova point guard, uh, right. who, who again just can can handle the rock, makes really good decisions with the basketball. Uh, he plays off two feet, like as Villanova players are known for. You know, like getting getting it into the paint, landing on two feet, um, making smart plays at the ball, uh, and then you know joining him in the backcourt. You've got Justin Moore, a player you mentioned, someone who's close to a three or four. 40% three-point shooter. Uh, then you've got Jermaine Samuels uh, at uh, small forward, a player who's got good length at 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, um, plays tough, can uh, can cut off the ball, he rebounds well. Then it, uh, who I think is going to start at the four, Cole Swider, um, a friend of Noah Locke's. And uh, you know when those two get together to hang out, it's all about shooting the basketball because Cole Swider can really shoot, perfect stretch four. And then their their center, Jeremiah Robinson Earl, just you know brings that physicality, great rebounder, um, can switch out a little bit so i just like not only are they really talented but it's like you're it's exactly how you would want to lay out kind of your prototypical starting five you know point guard that can pass uh shooter at the at, the, at shooting guard um defender at the three stretch four and then physical five yeah no that's that's all great stuff i i i, I like them i i think that they as usual final four caliber uh contender team I, the first team I wanted to address was, uh, you know, and, and I don't think it'll surprise Eric one bit having done a show with me for a couple of years, but, but he knows I got to talk Creighton. Um, I really feel like they were kind of a sleeper. They certainly were a second weekend caliber team last year. And, and, you know, if you get to the second weekend, who knows what happens? It'll be interesting. Like they are pretty much the same team, except that they don't have Tyshawn Alexander. So, like, what's your thought on that loss, the, the first team All Big East player that that uh, opted to actually go ahead and turn pro and did not come back despite the COVID concerns? Because I think offensively, that's going to be a big adjustment for them. It, it is, and I think he's a just. Uh, I thought he was a tremendous, tremendous defender as well. So I think that that hurts a little bit. I mean, yeah, that. So it looks like you got Mitchell Ballack probably sliding into that. Spot in the yeah. backcourt with Zagorowski, uh, you know, really solid player. But I, I just thought Tyshawn Alexander was tremendous defensively. And um, Crane is a team that does not always defend super well. They uh, kind of struggled once again last year, 78th in defense. Uh, we always know they're going to score. But uh, yeah, how they guard people is always a little bit of a question. And they lost who very well could have been their best defender last from last year in, in Tyshawn Alexander. So uh, I think Zagorowski could win player of the year. I don't know if I'd pick him or Colin Gillespie, but they definitely have like, that elite score and then they've got some some good role players like like mitchell ballack and 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 damian jefferson uh who's kind of your you know keontae johnson ish small ball four but uh but yeah like i i know they're gonna score i just i i wonder if they can defend better any better than than 78th and uh you know for that reason i i know so people are gonna kind of suggest that they challenge villanova at the top i i do think villanova is a tier above them but uh but crane's still gonna be very very good yeah, it'll be interesting, like to see if they try to replicate the the production of Alexander by committee, which is certainly what like efficiency gurus would suggest doing, right? Like, don't think that one guy is just going to step in and, and swallow up those minutes. It's going to have to be a bunch of people. One guy that intrigues me, although I think that he is a swinging gate on defense, is Denzel Mahoney. He's a guy that can really heat up. Um, and and has some positional versatility can really play three positions two three or four 
interestingly, there was no player in the country that had more games, uh, more disparate statistics in terms of Denzel Mahoney had plenty of games where he was above or in double-digit scoring, but he also had six games where he scored only one bucket or less. Pizza <laughs> Raymond, baby. And that's, that's a guy who, um, according to Hooplins, uh, was fifth in the country – or not in the country, fifth in the Big East in usage rate. I don't know if you want a guy that's that uh, efficiency starved on some nights to play that much, but that's kind of where they are from a depth perspective. It's another reason I think they'll have tr- problems challenging Villanova, Eric. Yeah, I think so. I mean, just for for them to uh, win the Big East regular season from the win the Big East tournament, it just means they're going to have to – uh, they're gonna have to put a whole lot of elite offensive performances up in a row, and they definitely have that ability to put a few together. But uh, when they're not really, really, really firing on offense, they could find themselves losing some games. And and for that reason, it's uh, yeah, I'd put them second in the league. But uh, yeah, I, I I can't really see them challenging Villanova. So you do think they'll finish second, though, as opposed to some of the other, you know, thought some of the other teams that that are probably close to that group like like Seton Hall, Marquette, UConn, uh, Providence. Yeah, I, uh, I I was interested to see. I kind of assumed just because again, not a particularly hot take to put Villanova and and uh, and Creighton one and two. I was interested who you have as the the third the third team, but uh, I, I would give another drop off after after Creighton myself. Yeah, no, I I I really do. I agree with that. Like, I don't think. I think Creighton is too good to finish third and not good enough to finish first. <laughs> and, and, you know, like maybe that makes the league neck less interesting. I don't know. Um, I'm ho- I'm going Homer and I'm going UConn to finish third. All right. What do you, uh, what do you see from the Huskies this year? So, you know, I don't I mean, look, they won a national title in the AAC. That's cool. It just never felt right. Uh, you know, I feel like they leave that situation kind of like the ex-girlfriend that like it just it just, you know, there wasn't that spark like they they probably had some really good times together. But, you know, at some point, both of them knew it was going to end. And, and that's what UConn's departure from the AAC feels like to me um, beyond budding superstar James Booknight. You know, I I still like a lot of the pieces on this team. I I, I think that. They have a pretty good player in Tyler Polly. Um, I think that they defended better than maybe even Danny Hurley thought they were going to defend last year at times. Um, still have to get better on that side of the ball. Um, looking at the at the Ken Palm ratings for their defense, you kind of see me that you know there's some good defensive teams in that league, and and they were. 84th in offense, or sorry, 64th in offense, but they got up into the top 60 in defensive efficiency after spending most of the year hovering in the 80s or 90s. So they they were defending a little better at the end of the year. I think ACOC, ACOC was a big uh, reason for that. Uh, they got a transfer from Howard that can really fill it up, and R.J. Cole is going to be the sixth man, I think. It's going to bring them some offense off the bench. And then Danny Hurley spent – a lot of the offseason gushing about Jalen Gaffney, a former Florida top, uh, Florida former target, Florida target that I think is a, a very good passer and and gives them some stability and the type of pass first point guard that I think James Booknight needs. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I'll treat Gilbert, their point guard from last year. Uh, he was someone who left as a grad transfer. And uh, from the sounds of it, it was it was a little bit mutual that, uh, you know, he didn't he wanted out of UConn. Well, obviously, and uh, it seemed like UConn was a little bit OK letting him go. And that's uh, for that reason, you've got to think that they're pretty high on Jalen Gaffney, someone who's going to uh, be taking the reins of point guard. But that would be my one concern for this team is, uh, yeah, when you're bringing in uh, like, the, again, they're banking on Jalen Gaffney, who averaged like four points in one or two assists per game and he's going to be your starting point guard uh that is going to make you you know that just definitely gives me a little a little bit of pause here about how how good they are and i guess james booknight's probably someone who's going to have the ball in his hands a lot but uh while he's a great scorer not your traditional point guard and i i I see some good defensive teams in the big east in my opinion and i see that that's one thing too about the style of big east basketball uh you do see like like teams like Seton Hall who change defenses a lot and and throw out junk defenses and and just really try to confuse their opponents with with different coverages and the fact that I think that UConn lacks playmaking and uh, kind of distribution and and safe ball handlers I I think it'd be a problem but they do have a lot of talent and uh, they've been recruiting really well and and have some good athleticism so uh, yeah I, I think I think a really good team but uh, but yeah not one that I could see challenging challenging the the upper tiers of of Villanova and Creighton. I was wondering what because I know you're a big Noah Horschler fan so I was wondering where you <laughs> where you stood on uh, Providence. Uh, yeah, I love Noah Horschler, guy who uh, played really well against Florida uh, twice. Oh, I mean, uh, yeah, he was he was great, and I loved him. And I mean, his teams were getting pounded. The uh, you know North Florida, the Birds of Trey, they're just uh, running up and down, shooting threes. And Noah Horschler's, you know, he's grinding. And and again, he's someone who's like. I think he was listed at six seven, but was probably closer to six six, and uh, you know wasn't big, but just like man, he played so hard and um, had good good hands. And yeah, I think he had sixteen and ten against Florida in his last season before before transferring. So uh, yeah, I I really like Noah Horschler. <laughs> I, I love the rest of the team to be honest with you. Uh, and part is that, part of it is that I do feel like there's a little bit of a ceiling on on Ed Cooley, a coach who I do really like. But uh, when you look at his on the court product and 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 how his teams have done there's you know there's there's really not a, a lot there i mean they're usually you can kind of pencil them in at the 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 fifth spot somewhere but like five or or six or or even a little bit lower when you look at uh when you look at the way this league is shaken down uh and it's again like it's not that i want to look at recent history and say hey that's what this team is going to be this year but then i look at their roster and say um i don't know if they have the pieces that that really change that um, other than the fact that I do think this is this Big East is a uh, which we could have maybe mentioned the beginning of the uh, uh, beginning of the preview and you can speak to this if you agree or disagree but I do think the Big East is is down this year I don't think it is as good of a league as it has been in recent years and uh, Providence is luckily getting to be one of the older teams at a time where uh, yeah you are seeing your your your, your Marquettes, your Seton Halls, lose some of these stars that, that kept them at the top of the league. Uh, so maybe this is the year that Providence uh, gets a little bit deeper. But yeah, I don't love a lot of the pieces. Uh, Noah Horschler, uh, really good player, built for the Big East, I think. Uh, David Duke, a junior guard that I, uh, you know, that I really like. Someone who can kind of bring secondary playmaking. Um Someone who can score off the bounce, but uh, yeah, I look up and down the other roster, and I, I I see some role players that would that are pretty good. I don't see the high end talent, and Providence is a team that is uh, that has struggled to score, and their defensive numbers are, are never as good as you think. Because once again, Ed Cooley and his teams always have this reputation of being like tough physical teams, and then you uh, you actually look at uh, you know you look at their numbers, and their defenses are not 
actually that good. The, um, you know, you look last year, 75th on offense, they were 27th on defense. That's great. The year before, 164th on offense, 41st on defense. Year prior, 100th on offense, 36th on defense. Uh, so, yeah, like, I mean, if you're going to be a team that struggles to score, you've got to be top 20, top 15 defense. And, you know, these Providence teams have never shown they could be. So uh, not super, super high on Providence this year. Yeah, that's interesting because, I mean, there are a lot of people that are really high on them, which I think is fascinating. And one, one, uh, you know, I went, read one preseason prognostication where, um, you know, I guess it was – they pointed out that that while Alpha Diallo is gone and, and everybody, you know, loved Alpha Diallo, but but he, he was – he probably took too many shots uh, for somebody that, that shot like him. Um, he shot 29% in his career from three, uh, but he kind of fit the mold that you're talking about, like this big physical player that everybody kind of associates with Ed Cooley basketball. Uh, wasn't a good free throw shooter, wasn't a good three-point shooter, and their offense was actually far more efficient when he was off the floor, if you, if you look at the numbers. So I guess the question is, you know, do they get better – when it was really Yala who who led that late season run, right? That that kept them. They were twelve and twelve. They ended up at nineteen and twelve, same record as Florida. They were going to go to the NCAA tournament for the sixth time in in Ed Cooley's tenure. Uh, you know, I think there was a lot to to be excited about, but I'm not sure. Like I saw Jerry Bynum play, and like I'm not sure that like just getting Jared Bynum to transfer in from St. Joseph's is, is the answer to, to their point guard issues. I'm not quite as high on David Duke as other people. Like I'm talking, I guess I'm talking myself out of what's a contrary because <laughs> you see all these people that, that really are putting them at second or third. I saw three men. We've had him at third. I think Ed Cooley is, they've been consistent, but there are ceiling questions. Um, and yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that this team is necessarily uh, the type of team I think is a surefire third place type team in that league. Yeah, once once again, I mean, if they were to finish third in this league, they're doing something that they haven't done in in multiple seasons, and uh, which is you know totally possible. But uh, if you actually look at uh, look at their roster. Uh, it's not like I just don't see players that I think are going to going to shift things from the product that uh, or the the outcome that we've seen recently uh, where they haven't been able to get into the top tier. I just don't see, you know, a small five foot nine St. Joseph's transfer to Jared Bynum. And um, as much as I love Noah Horschler at North Florida transfer, I, I just don't see them really changing the course. So, yeah, a good team should be in the mix for uh whatever, maybe eight or nine seed in the NCAA tournament, which is the Ed Cooley special. And uh, that's kind of, yeah, I don't see anything more. So let's get into uh, maybe somebody that could surprise you. And, and I, I want to talk about two coaches that could be trending towards the hot seat. Um, and so you might already know where I'm going, but, but let's talk about Xavier and Georgetown. Like, is there cause for concern at, at both those schools, one of those schools maybe more than the other, is there a sleeper capability? I know a lot of people like Kai Kai Tandy and Paul Scruggs um, and think, you know, yet another. The, I, the problem I have with that is like, cool, you have a good backcourt. You're in the Big East. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, it's interesting. That's a team that maybe other than Florida, um, it's hard to think of a team that had such big preseason expectations and just kind of wasn't that good. 
And, and they, unlike Florida, actually weren't that good. Like they had a losing conference record. They managed to finish 45th in Kempon, but a lot of that I think was strength of schedule. They did play a very difficult schedule, but now they lose a lot of pieces. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, that front court, Zach Fremantle, I think is really limited. Um, Jason Carter is is not the type of, of player that wins you big-time basketball games in the Big East. That's a team that I'd be concerned with. And I wonder where Travis Steele's job security is if it's another no tournament year for Xavier. Uh, I definitely, I, I don't know. I, I definitely would feel a little bit better about, uh, uh about Xavier. Um, do I think they're going to be great or make the NCAA tournament? No, not necessarily, but I, I mean, they're a team that, you know, recently hasn't really recruited super well yet has still gotten, you know, pretty good product from, uh, out of the guys, that, some kind of, you know, lesser known three-star kind of ish, uh, recruits. And there's a big difference between, I'll allude to this. I do not think that uh, Georgetown is going to be good at all this year. I think they're going to be terrible. And I think that there should absolutely be questions about, uh, about Patrick Ewing as a coach, because uh, yeah, when you just continually hemorrhage your best players and they don't speak highly of the program and you're not putting a good product on the floor. I mean, uh, that's rough. And there's a difference between what Georgetown does and Xavier. And the thing uh, that I know uh, about Xavier is they they have a system in place and I I, I know their identity. I know that they're going to play the pack line defense. I know that they're going to mix in the one three one zone. And uh, I think that's part of the reason they have gotten more out of these lesser known recruits than some other teams is because uh, they can recruit someone who's a little bit uh, less skilled, but when they know exactly where they're going to sit in their in their zone defense. Uh, I also uh, I I again like Travis Steele like uh, he's someone that I have always liked just because he's uh he's someone who draws up great set plays it's like so especially when when florida got known for their baseline out of bounds plays in terms of uh, for writing about it for gator country it definitely got me into like a rabbit hole of looking around the country at who else is good at baseline out of bounds plays and i was always super impressed with what travis Steele drew up um they changed defenses for really like that so i don't know i just i i like what travis Steele does i think a lot of their problems are just related to the fact that they haven't been recruiting uh, super well, which obviously is a problem, but uh, I just still feel better about the system they have in place than Georgetown, who doesn't seem to be able to hold on to players or uh, or be able to put an, an identity on the court. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Paul Scruggs, he's going to have to somehow take a big leap or um, maybe one of the, you know, they have a Belmont and a Hampton transfer, uh, two kind of two guards who could really fill it up at those, those lower levels. I mean, one of those guys is going to have to, really shoulder things offensively for a team that I think is going to struggle to score. But I, I think they're going to find a way to defend. I think that they're going to change defenses, uh, kind of confuse opponents and, and find a way to stay competitive in games. Yeah, no, I, I think that's probably fair. And I would definitely say that, that Steele is a young rising coach is probably a guy that, that even with Ewing's hall of fame status probably has a little more job security. Like I think Ewing probably enters this season on the hot seat, Eric. And, you know, they they had a very disappointing season last year, although I, ironically, were it not for huge depth problems, were, were actually a much better team when James Akinjo left. Like, make of that what you will, right? <laughs> uh, um, but Matt McClung leaving, I think, is, is a huge loss. Um, you know, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how Mac does with a new set of challenges and a new coaching staff. If it was, if it was like he needed a new start or – He's the problem. We'll find out. Uh, Omar, your seven is gone. 
Um, so they've, they've built, there's just not a lot of high-end talent on that team. Like I actually think their best player might be a true freshman, a very high four-star recruit named Jamari Sibley who went to uh, Keontae Johnson's school. Um, what was the Oak? Uh, Oak Hill? Yeah, Oak Hill player who uh, – who we played against in a in a holiday tournament, and uh, I thought the kid was spectacular. Uh, very long, great at attacking closeouts, six seven wing, uh, kind of um, an awkward shooting stroke, but it goes in. Um, I think that he could potentially be their best player. They did bring in uh, Jalen Harris from Arkansas to run the point. Um, Make of that as you will, I guess. I'm not sure that it helps them a ton, other than Jalen was really safe with the basketball, right? Finished fourth in the SEC in assist. Doesn't turn the ball over. Can't score. You don't have to guard him. But, um, <laughs> you know, that might be a problem on a team that, that struggled to score at times last year. But, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if I'm rebuilding necessarily works for – for Patrick Ewing after this season. Oh, Matt, well, this is year four. And it just is kind of, it's just interesting because when talking about Patrick Ewing, it kind of still sound like he's, you know, still getting his feet wet and getting into things, but right. yeah, this is, this is year four. And uh, man, it's uh, not only are they not, do they not look good, but they're probably going to start three seniors this year uh, between, you know, Jalen Harris, Javon Blair, uh, Jamarco Pickett, um, three seniors and this team is not going to be that good. So this is a team that I think is going to be very poor. could very well finish last in the league, or I think they'll finish somewhere in that nine, 10, 11 range. And um, yeah. And I, 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 yeah, when I think when you're bad and you're losing a bunch of seniors, it's like, man, that's a, that's a tough mix. So I, I think this Georgetown team is in trouble. I'm with you. And I think that that could be, you know, the end for Patrick Ewing um, that I'm sure they'll, that could be a very graceful uh, breakup because you never want to make a legend mad, but uh, or treat a legend with with disrespect. But but it might be time to admit that that experiment has failed. And, and you know who I think would be a great hire there. Um, and I hate to kind of kick dirt over the grave before it's it's even buried. But uh, like, how great would space and pace be at Georgetown with his <laughs> transfers and like that style? Like I'd love to see Muss with like the the black and silver on. I had no idea where you were going with that, and uh, that's a, that's that's pretty interesting. I mean, uh, that's definitely a school that uh, uh, once once again I just when I see Patrick Ewing, I just I I don't know what their identity is as a basketball team. Right. Um, I think a lot of people expected it'd be tough, physical, pounded inside. Well, they've never had a guy like that. Uh, yeah, I just. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm out on Patrick Ewing and, and as a coach, sadly. I really wanted to cheer for him, really wanted him to, to succeed. Sure. I'm not seeing it. Yeah, me neither. And uh, I don't think Aaron Whistleman would leave Arkansas for Georgetown. But, hey, you never know. Uh, he, he is kind of a must, must the mercenary, right? Um, if any of our Arkansas friends are listening, we don't actually think your coach is leaving. So don't, don't hit us up on Twitter about that. I'm just being ridiculous. Uh, give me your give me your Big East Player of the Year before we go. I think it's got to be Colin Gillespie. Um, once again, I think they're going to be the Villanova's going to be the best team, and I think he's going to be the best player on the best team who's uh, going to put up a lot, a lot of numbers uh, for his ability to uh, just make correct decisions with the basketball at all times. I I, I think he's my Player of the Year. Uh, do you have any differing takes? 
No, not really. Like, watch out for DJ Carton. Like, I think that Marquette, they like to get their guards a lot of the ball. Uh, that guy can really shoot, speaking of, like, people who could hang out with Noah Locke. Um, so, like, I think he'll be super fun to watch. And at some point, there will be some excited color analyst that forgets Villanova exists and will, like, hype up DJ Carton in a game. As far as Mr. Big East Player of the Year. But, yeah, it's Connor Gillespie. <laughs> and, uh, and hey, like I said, like uh, they are true friends at uh, Cole Swider and, and uh, Noah Locke. I remember when yeah. I interviewed Noah Locke as a, a, as a recruit. He was still at a senior year of high school. I talked to him about uh, um, who is one of his best friends. Or I asked him something about friends or uh, players to watch out for that he had played with. And he said Cole Swider. He said he was a fantastic shooter. So those guys are actual friends. So the um, I love love to see that. Yeah. And yeah, that's that's going to be a good team. Um, I know we're trying to get out of here. Podcast is running long, but I do have to deliver my uh, my hot take. And that is that I think Seton Hall will finish third, a team we haven't talked about yet. Oh, um, yeah. And, that, and uh, I think Bryce Aiken, the guard transfer from Harvard, is fantastic. And the one thing I love about this team is uh, they are another team with, uh, they have a very distinct style and they play massive. Um, with Ike Obiagu, seven foot two, like he's like a Florida State center, but in the Big East. Um, and then uh, Sandro Mamukelashvili, one of the best names in college basketball. Yeah. Um, he's, playing the, he's playing the five for most teams, but, uh, but they're going to play those two together. So... They're going to go Twin Towers with seven foot Mamu Kalashvili and seven foot two Florida State Leonard Hamilton Obiagu. And, uh, you know, look, uh, looking at the league, I mean, uh, Villanova has decent size in the front court, not massive size. Creighton is really undersized in the front court. They play really small. Um, Providence, again, they're going to be playing like Noah Horsler a lot at the five, who's, who's undersized. So I, I think you look at a lot of the teams that are going to be at the top of the league. Um, UConn, who's definitely going to be in the mix. That, that's probably the smart money on who's going to come third, in my you know my opinion. Um, but yeah, they're they're going to play a cook a cook. You know, six foot nine and two hundred five pounds soaking wet. Like uh, uh, there's a, there's some some of the good teams in the league play small, and uh, I think I think that uh, Seton Hall, who plays really big, really physical, uh, I think they're going to have an advantage in, in those kind of situations. When when games get ugly, they're going to get every rebound. And uh, yeah, Bryce Aiken could be a star, and and he's someone who I wouldn't pick obviously to be my player of the year. Um, but just like you kind of shouted out DJ Carton as a kind of uh, a sleeper. I'm going to put Bryce Aiken as a sleeper for player of the year. I think that's a great shout. Another guy they have that, that you didn't mention that I really like watching play is uh, Jared Roden. He's kind of like the consummate big East player. <laughs> like, he's just a six, six, like he's built like a tank. He's a wing and he just crushes it on the glass. Uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I mean like, that's Big East basketball, so like I like that shout. Like I could very well see them finishing third and 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 UConn finishing fourth. Well, and uh, you know Miles Kale, the other guy that's going to start with uh, with Roden. I mean, those are two wings that are you know grinders, <laughs> like you mentioned. So man, this is a this is a throwback Big East team, and. Um, uh, to call Molson a player who really filled it up at Canisius uh, a couple years ago, he sat up to a transfer. Um, I don't think he's going to be a, a, a great player necessarily, but he is someone who put up a lot of points with Canisius. And uh, for a scene hall to finish third, he's probably going to need to score because, again, 
Miles Kale, Jared Roden, um, Mamu Kalashvili, uh, Obiagu. Those those four are not great scorers. They're physical defensive players who rebound. Um, so it's probably there's going to be a whole lot on Bryce Aiken's play when it comes to scoring, and he'll need a secondary player who can come off the bench. And if that's Molson, um, this team could be interesting. But uh, yeah, Seton Hall, a team that I always love to watch play, uh, even this year, and uh, I love their script jerseys when they've got the Seton Hall in in script on their on their shirts. I think that's that's about as good of a jersey as you got in college basketball. Yeah, it's good, man. Um, so this was fun. Big East, uh, Villanova, and everybody else. Oh, <laughs> yeah, sort of. <laughs> um, that's uh, that's our show. We will be back. Our next uh, tour of the conferences will feature the B1G. So, you know, just as much time on Maryland basketball as Eric will allow me to. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> thanks, everybody.